lights, camera. I ain't afraid of no ghost. That's right. No ghost is afraid of here because it is time to talk about the one thing you always want to talk about, Ghostbusters! Wait a second, wait a second. I'm doing the, the the Ray Parker Jr., man. You gotta you gotta do the Ray Parker Jr. That's like if you don't do Ray Parker Jr., what the hell's wrong with you? I don't need to get Ray Parker Jr. Hey, listen to me, listen to away. me. Ray Parker Jr. is a freaking genius, and whether you wanna admit it or not, he wasn't afraid of no ghost. Gustin made boast busting made him feel good. All right, and that was iconic. So you it show Ray Parker Jr. the proper due and the proper respect. All right, and, I, and, Bob, I, and for the record, his song was better than Bobby Brown's song for Ghostbusters number two. I'll go and I'll, I'll I'll go on record and say that. And is Bobby Brown still alive, by the way? Yeah, Bobby Brown's still okay. alive. Well, you know, Bobby. It's Brown just his wife that. and his daughter who's dead. Oh, damn! That, I feel bad for saying that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to Cinemagic Podcast, where we talk about dead wives and daughters. Uh, wow. <laughs> that's wow. how we start, right? That's wow. an intro. That's terrible. <laughs> talking about all things dead. All I, things. We are talking about ghosts, technically, so I understand your point, but you know, no. And Patrick Swayze's dead, so you know it all just ghosts, Patrick Swayze. Yeah. Dead. I mean, I think Bill Murray would be proud. He says that a lot about a lot of people that are also dead. So, <laughs> well, no, it's true. Like I saw an interview with with uh, him and Dan Aykroyd and, and and Ernie Hudson, and he said something about yeah, John Belushi is someone we don't know and and own anything to because he's dead. And for those of you that don't understand the reference, John Belushi was actually originally tapped to play the uh, Peter Venkman role in what was gonna be Ghost Smashers. <laughs> and then became Ghostbusters, but that's you know we'll we'll talk about that later. And that's Rick Acevedo over there, who knows the most about Ghost and Ghostbusters, and your favorite host. That's me. That's right, Jonathan Gondwal, who's not afraid of any ghost. Who's had many conversations that if I see a ghost, I'm gonna punch one in their damn face. And if you listen to our Halloween episode, you hear me go on that rant again because I'm definitely afraid of no ghosts. Ghosts need to be afraid of me. Okay. Um, it is uh, times up for the ghost. Although, although that, although if you hit a ghost, you know your hand's gonna go right through its mouth because it's a ghost. It's a like a yeah. You see, that's what we think because no one ever tries to punch a ghost in its mouth. You mm. gotta show the ghost its damn place, man. Ghosts be mm. acting all see. Don't let me get started on this. Ghosts be acting up thinking they're better than you, and they think they're better than me. That's why they get popped in the mouth. What if it's a hundred? What if it's a hundred foot marshmallow, man? Will you pop it in the mouth then, dude? Because I will not. I love marshmallows, but I just don't feel like that's an experience that I want to have. If it's a hundred foot marshmallow, man, stay right? puffed. I get it. Stay <laughs> puffed, marshmallow, man. Gravity will do a lot for me, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a reason a lot of things aren't a hundred feet tall and walk around because mm-hmm. you know gravity, man. That's just it, it's a it's a bitch. Yeah, it's a I'm gonna curse. Though, I'm the first. Technically, you know. So I mean, marshmallows yeah. are light and stuff. See, it depends where you are. If you're in like my city, it's real windy. A hundred foot marshmallow, man, is just gonna blow right over, right? 
Like, it just depends on where you're at, gravity, wind, pressure, all those things take things for you. If not, try the Clark. You, just, you, could just, you could just poke the feet with, like, a little stick and, and you know, get yourself. Yeah, marshmallow burns way too easy. Right. Like, it melts way too right. easy, man. It, right. It's, a, it's, it's probably the worst monster to actually fight. I mean, Godzilla versus Stay Puff Marshmallow, man. Godzilla wins all day. Even King Kong, who got his butt whooped by Godzilla. Hey, man. I mean, destroyed by Godzilla, could be. King, King Kong gave Godzilla a run for the money. No, he didn't. Yes, no, he, he didn't. didn't. He lost two. And by the way, I just discovered, fight. by the way. He lost two before, out of the before three Before we get on, before we get on the, before we get on the subject that we're talking about today, I, I just want to say one thing. I discovered... A wonderful gem in the YouTubes about, uh, you know, it was a song about King Kong, literally called King Kong by the Jimmy Castor Bunch. So, therefore, I just want to say, does Godzilla have that? No. He's got, well, yeah, he's got a heavy metal song, whatever. Yeah, Godzilla, yeah, he got whatever, you know. But, he got cartoons, but, he got songs. But, like... but, you know, King Kong by the Jimmy Castor Bunch, check it out if you haven't. It is... Uh, you know, it's seventies, so it's kind of more funk oriented. But 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 you know, it was um, it was good. Good stuff. Uh, and, and in that song, did they mention how he got? He's gonna get his butt whooped by Godzilla. No. Did they mention it in that song? No, because it never happened. Oh you're oh, right. it didn't happen. Not, uh, it didn't happen. Nah. I saw the last movie King Kong Godzilla was in. King Kong got his butt whooped. The problem was King Kong was. Um, he was, he was, you know, it like, uh, he didn't get his butt whooped. It was just like, was... you know, who's better than King Kong? You know who's better? Denzel. Denzel already said it. Said King Kong ain't got shit. He already said it. Denzel yeah. already. Said it. Yeah. And then Denzel, and then Denzel got old like fast. And then Denzel won an Oscar and did the Equalizer, sir. And the equalizer to his first sequel. Um, excuse me, King excuse Kong me. He got nothing on Denzel. Excuse me. He, he ain't got nothing. He won a second Oscar, bro. Respect. Second. He did win a second Oscar. Oscar. Not an Oscar. He's not a one timer. He's a two timer. I said. I said it, then he went and won an Oscar, not he won his first Oscar. So. Yeah, but I just said know, he won and won an Oscar. I feel okay? I feel like we gotta we gotta give him we gotta give him the proper love here because you know Denzel is like an all-time great if there ever was one like just hands down but i agree i agree and i think if you're wondering what are they talking about this week with all of this nostalgia oh it leads perfectly to what we're talking about we mm -hmm. the nostalgia movie for the lifetime ghostbusters after life or after you've grown up and you want to know about how it was like to be a child so you want a movie to feel good about your feelings again Right. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, Ghostbuster Afterlife. Sorry. sorry. I, I see. I, I, there were a lot of reviews that said that, but I think that the reviews, what they did, was focused specifically on what everyone that watched Ghostbusters, you know, at the very beginning, was looking for, which was how it brings in the first story. Um, and I'm not going to sit here and say that it doesn't because I, I watched the thing. And look, I'm a huge Ghostbusters fan. And when I say a huge Ghostbusters fan, I'm going to break down this list for you really quickly. Okay. Uh, first of all, I watched Ghostbusters, the first one, when it came out on theaters, I was five years old. All right. Mm -hmm. I was like 
10 when I watched the second one, also in theaters. Never missed an episode of The Real Ghostbusters. Oh, and yeah. I actually didn't even miss it. And that ran for five years. That's one of those mm-hmm. few shows that didn't have like the 65 episodes that had 140. And I watched um, Extreme Ghostbusters, which was the 97 series that only has like one original character in it, which was Egon. And uh, I even watched the much maligned 2016 film, um, which basically was a remake. And remakes, as we know, never really work. Um, You know, think about your favorite film of all time. Think about it remade and think about how much you would legitimately like that. That's not to say that the film itself was terrible. It's just, you know, it, it did what no film should do, which is it tried to go into the pop culture Parthenon, and it, like, psycho, it, like, it brought something out, and it's not a terrible film. It's just, you don't do that. And then I played the hell out of the 2009 game, which was technically Ghostbusters 3. Like, that that game was uh, based on a script. That, ba- that game was based mm-hmm. on an alternative version of the script, which Harold Ramis, rest his soul, yep. today's his birthday, would have actually, you know, that's that's what they were thinking about doing. Yep. And, and he, that ties yeah, in he, heavily he, 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 into yeah. the film. That ties in very heavily into the film. Um, so, you know... Before you go forward, I want to give the same background there, just so we can yeah. have that there, have that established. So Rick's a little older than me, so I didn't get to see the first Ghostbusters in theater. I did see the second one in theaters. Uh, watched, I, I watched the first one, of course, on mm-hmm. home video. Watched the second one in theater, um, and then as Rick did, watched all the cartoons, even the '97 <laughs> version. Thank you, because I was going to call you out on the extreme Ghostbusters, but you did. Love the wheelchair. Love the wheelchair-bound character. Yes. Uh, <laughs> Extreme Ghostbusters. Their name escapes me right now, but I did love that. Uh, uh, so I'm with them. Seen the 2016, played. I have the video games in my background. I own it in several different systems. Uh, played it originally, and he's completely 100% right about it being the original script for Ghostbusters 3. Famously, Bill Murray did not want to do another Ghostbusters, and mm-hmm. that's what kind of held it up for years. Up. But Ghostbusters, the video game, is the unofficial Ghostbusters 3, yeah. uh, which I love. Uh, I am such a Ghostbusters fan. Have you been checking out what Hasbro Pulse is doing with Ghostbusters and released to this movie? I I have not actually. I haven't. No, I I, I have to do this. Um, so, and you're gonna have a treat if you're watching us on YouTube because I'm gonna be bringing it up on YouTube. Um, the YouTube uh, on our YouTube, not on our YouTube. Yeah, if you could see it, I'm gonna put it up on our YouTube page. Uh, not our YouTube page. Yeah, it's gonna be up on our YouTube. It's gonna page. be it's our YouTube video. page. Yeah, we're. Uh, <laughs> but they have a new Proton Pack, Egon's original Proton Pack. Now I'm gonna admit I'm a huge Egon fan, so. And and uh, that's the reason why it's very important that we talk about this film, because um, while well, Jonathan is bringing that up. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah no, dude, I'm buying that. I'm totally. Uh, yeah, so I already bought it. Uh, ah! Damn it! You, it is. It's crowdfunding. You got. You got a little more time for all the people who can see. Definitely go and pick one of these up. It is an amazing recreation of Egon's original proton pack with lights and everything, which is what I'm clicking through this right is, now. Dude, this is okay. So what you're doing is fabulousness, and I hate you for it. Um. Yes, and, and Hasbro. <laughs> uh, although. It's um, it's really bad because they didn't include the wand. Oh, I, 
I meant to go wand. The wand, the Ghostbusters wand that they do. Um, but you can buy it together, and they will connect as a stretching goal. So I'm showing that off to you. Did you pre-order the well. wand too? Oh, yeah. Of course I did. Of course I did. Uh, nice. <laughs> so I did both. I'm a collector. I like collecting things. It's, I got. It, it, I, yeah, I got and this is the kind of film. Nostalgia. And this is the kind of film. Um, not this one, but like Ghostbusters as a franchise is the kind of franchise that leads you to like. I had an Ecto one for the longest time, and I wish I still had it because mine was the original toy. Like it was a big Ooh. Cadillac. Uh, last time I saw an Ecto one that was released in that first run of toys. Um, it, it was about $500 and it wasn't even in mint condition. So, um, you know, Ghostbusters is something that has really gotten, you know, it, it's really staked a place in the fabric of, and I'm not going to say it's just America because like Ghostbusters is popular everywhere. You know, mm -hmm. you, you say Ghostbusters, everyone knows what, what the hell you're talking about. And so I think that, really to, to provide the proper context here we have to talk about what is and what isn't and as a fan I could tell you what I liked from this film you know and I could tell you what I think would have used a lot of improvement and I could tell you what I think um, you know why I think this was done the way that it was done and why I don't actually think that there's going to be a sequel to it um, and it and it talks to basically extreme Ghostbusters. You know, we talked about extre extreme Ghostbusters. The thing with Ghostbusters is you associate the characters with the four first guys. So when you listen to like the original like plans for the script, or if, like Christopher Walken mm. was going to be Egon, Eddie Murphy was going to be Winston, um, you know, Dan Aykroyd was always going to be yeah. Ray, and then John Belushi was going to be Peter Venkman. You think about that, and it's like four of the biggest names ever, really, but you can't really picture that. No. It's just like you can't picture someone else playing Beverly Hills Cop, which is the reason why Eddie Murphy didn't take up Ghostbusters. And that's mm -hmm. the reason why the Winston character was actually reduced, because... It was it was it was always supposed to be Eddie's character, and he was the biggest comedian in the world at that point in time. So, you know, the assumption is you got the biggest comedian in the world. You got the pairing between him and Dan Aykroyd. Man, that's that's gonna explode. I'm of the belief that actually Ernie Hudson was a far better choice for that role. Now, whether it was written differently originally, I really wouldn't know. Um, I know Harold Ramis wasn't even supposed to appear in that because Harold Ramis, for people that aren't, you know, you got a whole new generation of people that aren't really keenly aware of who that was, but Harold Ramis was really responsible for some of the most iconic comedies that have come down the pipe for a long time as a writer and sometimes as a director. So, you know, Harold Ra Ramis, Egon, um, you know, wasn't even supposed to be in that. And now you can't imagine anyone else being a part of that, like being that specific role. Uh, um, I, and, I, and I agree with you 100%. Egon is my favorite Ghostbusters. I, I know I said this. I, I always loved Egon growing up. Uh, maybe because I always considered myself the smart guy and the scientist. I don't know. But Egon's the role that I always love. And I know everybody loves Venkman. Everybody wants to be Venkman, but Egon was mm, my I too. See, but I'm the same way as you because I loved Egon. And if, if, you know, if I really have to make 
Uh, so my, my dog loves you on too. Um, <laughs> if, if I really have to make, uh, a, you know, get a general guess, I would say from what I saw, this film had two purposes. Okay. Maybe three. Number one and above all else, especially because of the release date being so close to Harold Ramis's birthday, late Harold Ramis's birthday, this was without a doubt like his swan song sort of tribute. Without a doubt, this was it. Um, it was also a way to say this is maybe the way we close the series because. You know, and I don't know if you've had this happen, uh, John, but with me, it's always been like, you always wonder what the characters are going to, wh what happens after the fact, after your, mm -hmm. after the movies are over, you, you have that as a kid, you, you kind of wonder mm -hmm. and as a possibility to maybe leave it open-ended if, if, if there was a popularity with, with the newer characters, which I'm not, you know, I'm an OG guy, so I'm going to tell you right now, you know, it's not not the same for me, mm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. So let me let me give it a little breakdown of how it starts, and, and you know, you see the Shandor Mining Company, so right away the character of Ilo Shandor, who, whom I like to refer to as a silent, unseen antagonist... Mm -hmm. no, um, is yeah. is established alright there's something going on you see you know then you see like the proton stream coming down a mountain and you see a guy running um, away from that mountain driving away from that mountain in an old truck and it you could see the the, phys the physical aspect of it. it you can tell it's Egon but you're like wait a minute what's what's going on here are they is this you know how many years after the fact is this you know and obviously you're like okay well it's 32 years after the original and what have you and, and they pretty much go with that timeline which i felt was a little troubled and i'll i'll explain that a little bit later on but you you see egon's doing something the truck flips he's grabbing this trap he's trying to open up a trap all right doesn't then essentially sits down, resigned to the fact that he's going to die. So right off the bat, they're giving Egon a hero's death. But if you haven't watched the original, if you haven't watched the sequel, you don't know that's Egon. Mm -hmm. Which is cool because to me, and you, you and I talked about this, in Star Wars, one of the problems, one of the big problems was instead of them establishing the characters yep. that you're going to have to get to know, for the sequels to make sense, you know, Han Solo got as much time as, and maybe even more, as Adam Driver. Mm -hmm. You know, as Adam Driver's Kylo Ren. Just like Darth Vader becomes a, a focal point of obsession for Kylo Ren. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you're not giving me, a, like, the continuation that I'm looking for because you're not establishing these new characters. Yep. Here yep. it's like you make the assumption, once you see it, you make the assumption that it's Egon, especially if you've seen it before, mm -hmm. right? 
But then it goes immediately to establishing the character of Egon's long lost, not long lost, but his daughter and his grandchildren. Where I automatically had a little bit of an issue was, it says, um, you know, and I'll explain this further later. You know, they say this is Egon's, you know, this is Egon's daughter and she's never actually met him. Now, the, the character of his daughter is played by Carrie Coon, who, you know, is, I want to say, close to 40. So they say this takes place after, after you know, Ghostbusters 2. And she's got a 15-year-old kid and she's got an 11-year-old kid. Well, my problem with that is Ghostbusters 2 took place 32 years ago. So what you're saying is 32 years ago, right around that time of Ghostbusters 2, he had a daughter, but then he left to go to Somerville, Oklahoma because he figured out that Evo Chandler had a plan B that no one really understood. The problem with that is right there that makes it a very difficult to buy timeline because it's like, oh, you mean she had her first kid at 15 or 16? Mm. That's... It's not that that's an issue. It's just that that's not clearly that's not clearly laid out. And there's problems with that timeline. A lot of problems that even visually they exposed, be, you know, because of some things that you see later on. And I paid attention to all these I, details, so yeah, I was yeah, like, and, mm. and one, I know it's like, oh, maybe it's because Egon died in the farm. That's why he never met her. But also, it feels like. I don't know. From the first two movies, one that's not Egon's character. Like no, he, he doesn't really do that, seem interested but... in women and stuff like that. It's just not his character. And two, like he had other love lunches that we saw in the movie. You know what I mean? Well, it's, <laughs> it's, but but the problem way. is, but the problem is, it's like then they start talking about the fact that Egon left his family. Like he left the family, and they constantly hark on that because the whole and and. You know, Egon is definitely, like, the sacrificed hero at the end of this film. A 100% the sacrificed hero who understood that something greater was going on and either they fought it or he was going to do it on his own. That much is established. So you don't actually get the feeling that Egon did what he did to be an asshole. He just did what he did because he felt... But again, the timeline doesn't add up. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll bring up little things that make it not add up that are just very basic... And as far as, you know, the characters are concerned, the newer characters, you sort of get a feeling for them. And, you know, you get like, I sort of became instantly drawn to the Phoebe character, the little girl, because she's, it's almost like the way that she looked, she looked like a tiny Egon, which was kind of cool. Mm. The mother is clearly a troubled individual from not having had a relationship with, with her father and it's like, well, you, can, I guess you could sort of see that. And then the teenager is, you know, Trevor, he's just like an awkward teenager. Kind of looks a little bit like Harold Ramis with all the hair. But that's about really all you get from that. Um, and then they go to Somerville, Oklahoma. And Somerville, Oklahoma is this town in the middle of nowhere. And you see... You start seeing a lot of eggs that are kind of cool because you see the perfectly symmetrically stacked books... You see all these things. You see um, uh, Revel Revelation six twelve, which is what um, what is mentioned in the movie by Dan Aykroyd when they're having that really intense conversation, him and um, Ernie Hudson in the mm -hmm. in the bridge 
right before the big breakouts happen and stuff like that. And but again, they're they go really quickly back to establishing these characters and how they start figuring out who they are and, and, and sort of discovering themselves in this small town. Problem, though, and again, these are just small issues, but small issues that I think could have been probably re like better repaired. Um, you know, they, they bring in another character who uh, is this kid named Podcast, and he's the comedy relief. This is not a comedy by any stretch of the imagination. And I remember it goes back to something that you always said. The first one was not a children's comedy either. No, so, it's a it's an adult comedy, which is and I, I want to bring this up. I know we're going through this, which is something I believe the 2016 movie Love It or Hate It has over it. It's it's an irrelevant comedy as the original Ghostbusters is. Yeah, that is something that I think always needs to be said. Ghostbusters is a comedy. It is. That's what the original Ghostbusters is. It's a fun comedy romp. I just want that noted. I'll talk about it later when you're finished with the whole story. But I just I have to say that. No, because you're right. But, but there's no but, but, but there's no taking that away. But there's no taking that away from it because the whole purpose of Ghostbusters was essentially, you know, to add like the supernatural element to comedies. And the and, and where Ghostbusters Really, 1984 was the year that proved that comedies could be as big or bigger than action films. Because mm -hmm. the two biggest films of that year were comedies. Ghostbusters mm -hmm. and Beverly Hills Cop. They made over $200 million a piece. Yep. And it's, these are comedy rumps. They have things that when you see them, it's like, man, your, your heart sort of goes out for these characters in one way or another. Because you have to get closer to the characters in some way, shape, or form. And which is cool. Here, they had comedy elements, but it was much more somber because the way that the script was written was meant as a, as a tribute script. It was not really... It was not Ghostbusters in the traditional sense. It was not one, it was not two, it was not 2016. It was basically designed as what 2016 couldn't be because 2016 was a reboot with, you know, same dimensions... You know, different types of characters, similar story plot lines, you know, things like that. So they go to Somerville, Oklahoma. Um, you know, the two kids are going to summer school. Uh, they've been evicted. They don't have any money. And then the first um, appearance of, a, of an old character, Janine Melnitz. Now, a lot of people have said in reviews that, you know, they toy at the possibility of... Janine being uh, the girl's mom. Maybe in the preview, but that's nowhere near even implied. She doesn't know Janine, literally. She just says, look, I never knew my father. And, you know, Janine basically explains that Egon was, you know, at a, you know, sometimes he even had a hard time keeping the power on. Um what that starts to establish is the fact that really Egon, if you look at it, both in the video game and in the original film, had the deepest understanding of Evo Shandor. So Egon clearly went out of an obsession with understanding what Evo Shandor was trying to do and why, and and trying to defeat him because this guy was like big bad. I, and, and, and I totally get that. 
And where this movie kind of gets me weird is that initial premise is that no one believes Egon. Like, Ray, Peter, and Winston don't believe the equipment guy, the guy who tells them all the lore, the guy that they look to in the first two movies to be like, yo, what's happening? And like him, so when he says something, to be like, nah, you're an idiot. We don't believe you. And I'm glad. Which is and essentially I'm, like what and I'm, they And I'm do. glad you brought that up because that is actually very, like, that is... Like, Crow is served up at one point, and it is well-eaten, and you see, based on how each of the characters has sort of evolved, why Egon was actually 100% on the right, and they were in the wrong. That that does, you know, which I, I totally agree with you. I'm like, how can you not agree with the brains of the team? Like, this is the smartest guy in the world. The, in your mm -hmm. universe, he's the smartest guy in the world. How yeah, he's the one not? who created all the equipment. He's the one who knows all the history. Like no, and and so so you know, they go further into it, further into it. Callie is the first one to discover the trap, because Egon was apparently killed by um, a devil dog. The devil dogs were trapped. Keymaster and, and Gatekeeper were trapped, and one of them, like he was trying to lure one of them into a trap. And apparently did so while the other devil dog essentially took his life. Mm. Um, we go back now. They're into they're in Oklahoma. They're in Somerville, Oklahoma, and you start seeing, you know, the kids basically trying to fit in, which is you know a standard story. You're you're mm. new kid in school. You know I've been through that a million times, so I know what what that's like. I, yeah, so do I. I've been to eleven different schools uh, before <laughs> college, so. Yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's it's one of those things where you're trying to you're trying to you know fit in stuff like that, and that's that's a story that you can follow. But then Callie starts discovering who her grandfather was through a process of clues that are left, and obviously throughout that entire time, Egon is not there's not a corporeal form, but there is like clues that Egon is around, like you know what have you trying to guide Callie as to what to do because essentially what happens is Egon had fashioned that entire farm into a massive ghost trap because he knew that Gozer would be back that Gozer would be brought back because Evo Shandor's whole purpose in life was to make sure that Gozer came over and took over the world okay so far so good um they don't really get into busting ghosts I want to say to probably about a good hour into the film, which is good because if you watch the original, I got to know Ray Egon and all of these guys before they start busting ghosts. And Slimer doesn't yeah. come in until a significant period. I don't believe, right? It, uh, when when Slimer yeah. first seen, like forty five minutes. He's in, first seen the hotel. Yeah, like, but it is a good 45, 50 minutes because oh. yeah, because the original Ghostbusters was setting up. What they were originally talking about is a lot of crony capitalism under Reagan. Because, you know, yeah. movies are, of course, always made, like, you know, in their era. So, uh, in the era. Yeah, era. Yeah. Not error. Era. <laughs> With an A. Uh, they're always made in the era. And they're usually responding to things that are happening with them. This is why the original Ghostbusters has a lot about them being broke. And them having to leave drug as academic. And talking about debt. And making money. And that's, and brought, this, up, and that's brought up here, too. That's yeah, brought up. Like, the exact words that you're saying, dude are brought up in a conversation that 
a hundred percent sums that up mm. between Ray and and the grand and Egon's granddaughter. So here's what what happens through Paul Rudd's character, who I would say is probably essentially playing like the Lewis Tully part. Just you know, he's Paul Rudd, so he's supposed to be a lot cooler. And he kind of it's kind of it's it's a it's a it's a it's a passable character. No Rick Moranis by any stretch of the imagination. Um, you know, but essentially he starts and you see this relationship develop between him and, and the daughter to where he understands the daughter because he's a science guy too. And he can actually like there's that opening for a relationship between um Paul Rudd's character and um you know the character played by Carrie Coon of Callie Spangler, the, the daughter of Egon. Um, just because he actually understands Callie. Like, he's unhappy, he's miserable at his job as a, as a summer school teacher and stuff like that. So he's just showing them movies, and then he goes to, to another room to, you know, um, monitor seismic activity. And, of course, that seismic activity is coming in because Egon, prior to his death, set up, like, several um, wands and proton packs underground in the mine the mine spoiler alert is an actual like sacrifice pit set up for gozer in case new york didn't work out because that's the thing is and and that that's that's something that they did do well in the timeline which which is you know if you go back and they say okay this was built in the 1920s right or in the 1900s the building was built in the 1900s uh, by Ivo Shandor, and it was meant to be a conduit. Well, the town came after, and it was meant to be another conduit, just in you know, in case. Um, and they talk about the Shandor cur- curse and how like many um, miners were disappearing within the mine. That's where all these spirits start forming. Essentially, it's a big cesspool. Egon discovers this, and basically has these proton packs on a timer. You know, um, keeping the ghosts trapped. So, you know, his whole purpose is just making sure that that happens. All right. So, Callie essentially discovers this. Not Callie. um, uh, Phoebe, the granddaughter, Mm -hmm. discovers this along with podcasts and discovers like a proton pack. And they go after the first ghost, which is Muncher. Muncher is like Slimer, but grayer and has legs, which I felt was not as appealing as Slimer, because Slimer was just, you know, this green corporeal. I don't know, man. I'm a Slimer guy. I, yeah, yeah. I, you know, it's... But Muncher, yeah. so they go after Muncher. Real, real quick, though, what do you think Slimer looked like in real life? Because like you know how all the ghosts... Huh? Like John Belushi, it was it was it was supposed to be like Slimer was it shit, no shit. I when I when I thought of this, I was like that is a brilliant little thing. They actually like created Slimer as a freaking ode to John Belushi. It was it was supposed to be John Belushi's spirit. So that is insane because you know in Ghostbusters, um, uh, uh, the ghosts look like 
they take on usually the form of who they were before. Yeah. Like, you know, they're not like usually, usually something yeah. vastly different. They look like the sailor's the sailor, a judge's a judge, the prisoners are, you know, human-like prisoners. The, the Scalari uh, brothers in, uh, in Ghostbusters 2. Ghostbusters, yeah. So you, so you get human shapes, but then you just got Slimer, who's this big, fat, green blob. <laughs> and, and supposedly that was like, you know, he was supposed to do, be like the comedy relief of ghosts because of that. So I was like... You know, I don't know who um, who uh, Muncher would be. Muncher basically just eats metal and occasionally shoots back the metal, which it, this is the weird part of it. He's not a ghost that's just there to scare you. Like, he'll shoot back and defend himself. He's kind of cute in a way, but also hella dangerous. So um, right at that moment when the Ecto-1 is discovered and fixed by Trevor, Trevor goes out. He picks up the kids who had been after Muncher, and again, you got to see podcast because he's funny. Like he, he, his jokes are subtle, but he's funny as shit. This kid is funny as shit. And so they go after Muncher, and that's the scene that you see in the previews and stuff like that that they showed you, where they're trying to capture this ghost. And right away, the kids get arrested and put in a jail cell. All right. And, you know, I'm sorry that I'm spoiling so much of the film, but it's it's no, easy for me to talk about, man. I'm, I'm a freaking, I'm a Ghostbusters hey, fan. Spoil it all, spoil it all. If you, if the, uh, sorry, everyone out there. If you didn't notice that, we're spoiling it. Then uh, uh, Yeah, if, if you didn't notice that, then I'm sorry. But, you know, I ain't afraid of no ghost, and I also ain't afraid of your opinion. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> we're not, neither of us are. So, yeah, no. so, you know, they do that. And right away, the one thing that didn't happen with Ghostbusters happens here. So it's like, okay, they're, they're handling the obvious now. The kids get arrested for property damage. Um, you know, and at this point, Paul Rudd's character and, um, and, and, and Carrie Coon's character had, had been on a date. Okay. They had been on a date, sort of getting to know each other. Um, you know, and um, by now, Trevor has a love interest, which is Lucky, who's this a beautiful teenage girl that works with him at the restaurant where he tried to get a job and stuff like that. Um, and her father's the sheriff, who's played by um, uh, Bukim Woodbine, I believe. Yeah. Um, and he's he's like super chill, kind of, you know, the t he plays like the, the calm country sheriff that looks at but there's this one tense moment where he says to the little girl, man, you're worse than your lunatic grandfather. And she pulls back on the proton pack and basically threatens to shoot him. Just turns it on and you hear that noise. And for the first time, the proton pack actually sounds somewhat ominous. Uh, and this is really um, where the action picks up. I, I just want, I want this noted, as many people have noted and point out, the hero of the Ghostbuster film is the EPA director, who is completely correct that all of this nuclear technology in civilian areas is 100% unsafe and needs to be regulated. I don't know, so. man. I always wonder. This coming from the guy that bought a proton pack. Tell me that if you had a proton pack and you could use it, you would be shooting some shit just to figure out how it works, man. Come on. It's I'm a say proton this. pack. I think uh, in the last week or two, we mentioned how they they had to like stop bringing backpacks to school, right, for gun shootings. I don't think, especially in America, we need proton pack in the hands of everyday American. Right, I have man. a feeling that will end up 
very, very bad. You're not supposed to cross the streams. And I've seen TikTok. The first thing everyone's going to do is cross the streams. That's like number one, what everyone will do. So, so that's another... Tell me I'm wrong. Tell I mean, me I'm wrong. I, I don't, I can't tell you that you're wrong, but I'm just saying if I told you, let's grab some proton packs and go shoot some shit in open fields in Norway, would you not do it? I would. Oh, I would totally want to go. And we would do international packs. Ghostbusters. Like we would have a Ghostbusting business, and it'd be international, and we'd go everywhere with the fucking proton packs. I would have proton oh. fist. I'd have proton fist, so I can punch a ghost straight in his damn mouth. <laughs> no, no, stop trying to make contact. Damn it, you're a science guy. Stop it. <laughs> proton fist. I'm gonna punch a ghost in his mouth, and no one can tell me nothing. <laughs> Yeah, hey, patent pending, proton fist, do not even try it. Anyway, <laughs> so at this point, the, the real heavy action starts because that's when they start discovering in the mines um, that, you know, what Evo Shandor was up to, and they start sort of figuring it out. And here's where the timeline really becomes problematic for me. So Callie's deal is that, you know, the, the farm didn't even feature a picture of her right and then it like egon's spirit guides her to his like um hidden room downstairs like a basement where she sees all these pictures of her and the timeline and it's like it says at one point callie's first birthday uh 1982 and that's where i had a fucking problem with that because i'm like Okay, now you're saying that she was born prior to the events of Ghostbusters 1. Which would mean that he didn't leave her for, like, you know, this is where you have to be careful and things like that. And you have to look at continuity and you have to look at how it's going to serve the story and what purpose it's going to serve the story. Because anyone who doesn't understand that will say, okay, well, the first movie took place in 84, so he was working at a university. He just, he had a kid, and he didn't take the responsibility, so he's a total dick. Therefore, mm -hmm. I cannot relate to him as a hero. This would come from the people that don't know the Egon character or the value that it brought to Ghostbusters. And I know that I'm getting overly technical, but no, I'm, I'm a... making a point about the importance of establishing your timelines correctly. You know, I think that that really kind of was a problem. It was a problem for me, just as yeah. as a geek who loves Ghostbusters. That just was a problem. I would have written that differently. Yeah, a hundred percent. And that's where I was alluding to earlier about that's weird for Egon's character. Like this whole movie feels very out of Egon's character, right? And I get it's a love letter to how Ramis is done by his kid and all this, but Egon's actual character established by Ghostbusters. All of this feels out of left field. It, like, actually, you know, like, here's Egon. This is now just left field. It actually was done like, by, by Ivan Reitman's uh, son. And Ivan Reitman had been the original director. But Ivan Reitman yeah. and Harold Ramis were super tight. They wrote a lot of shit together, including Animal House, which was a massive hit. Like, bit, all yeah. the stuff they did for Lampoon. But, but here's the problem. Now, okay, now we start getting into the action. And the action is not overly sustained for like an extreme period of time. But then here's where things start so going kind of a ride for me. And it again, I like the film, okay? I'm not going to say that I like it more than the first one, 
because it, like the first one is a classic and it'll always just be the first one and then Ghostbusters and again different story different times I like the film and I like that it didn't overuse the old characters because it didn't do that where it was talking about Egon and I think it was doing that for the more for the benefit of people like us that knew the character it wasn't overdoing that either necessarily it you know it was building kind of a question of okay so how did this happen so now I'm gonna put the bad timeline aside for a second you know and talk about one thing you know a few of the things that I feel that again could have been done differently and maybe less dialogue would have actually served it more mm-hmm. and and things that you shouldn't have had um, you have J.K. Simmons playing the part of Evo Shandor and Evo Shandor is like in a stasis chamber which actually looks like a glass coffin not a stasis chamber and that's a problem because basically you're saying that the guy figured out how to keep himself in stasis until Ghostbusters you know, until uh, Ghostbusters would come but the problem is he's keeping himself in stasis in California not in New York mm-hmm. so therefore he must have known something that kind of is a little bit of a reach and timeline wise and mm-hmm. he's got the years of major events that are referenced in the films like carved into into the mine including 2021 but like i wouldn't have actually featured the character of evo shandor physically i would have not had it in any kind of corporeal form because it's you know the whole thing that makes that character magical is the fact that he's not featured he's never featured yeah exactly except for the game except for the game yeah and but he's never featured Mm. except for the game so when you when you have the character featured and you like you're at that point you're thinking the character is going to play a more significant part toward the end which has happened where you'll see like a villain come in and factor in at the end or whatever but that's a very slippery slope and where i think they really kind of drop the ball is when gozer comes out and, and gozer looks impressive in this one i mean it's still the same flat top look in it but it looks impressive like the 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 way the it doesn't look like a like something with glitter that's been bedazzled like gozer looks impressive and kind of scary when gozer comes out um at that point callie and uh and and gary gruberson the characters of of um paul rudd and and carrie coon are you know they've already taken the forms of the gate master and the, the, the key master and the gatekeeper right gozer comes out she basically one of the first things that she does is she tears evo shandor in half that to me was insanely anticlimactic only because that's not what like evo shandor plays such a factor in everything that if you're gonna do that you might as well just leave him dead don't feature him don't factor him in if you're gonna just have her tear him in half that just leave him out of it just leave him leave him out of it name him because the name actually instills fear and sometimes the fear is instilled more by and i and i get the whole thought process would be well gozer's all powerful and he wanted to rule the world with her and gozer's not going to answer to a human gozer's a sumerian like devil god so therefore she can you know all his plans are for not but 
if the whole deal was that a ghost or devotee just wanted Ghoster to take over the world, and that's basically heavily implied in the first one, just leave it as is. I wouldn't have done that. I would have, you know, Ghoster was one thing, but, you know, tearing him up. Exactly. Yeah. The video game. I, I, and for those who can see, I keep pointing at my background, which is Ghostbusters the video game. As we mentioned in the beginning, which was an unofficial script for Ghostbusters 3, which does have Ian Shandor in it in a very ghost capacity, but it goes more into his, like, all his architecture and building are all conduits to help bring all these ghosts that he was just establishing with Gozer. Which, so it kind of does some of that, but in a very different capacity than Ghostbusters yeah. after. <laughs> and, and I think, you know, at this point... He's and, very much dead in the video game, everyone. I should say that. He's yeah, very no, much dead. Yeah, he's, he's 100% dead. dead. So my he's whole point, my, you know, you go back... And then they start sort of throwing in the Easter eggs. I mean, this is a whole Easter basket at this point because they're like, there is no mom, only Sue. And it's like, everybody knows what that line is. is, is. And I think that, you know, with if when, when Carrie Coon's uh, character of Callie is being possessed by the... Um, by the gatekeeper, I believe, or the, whichever one is the one that possesses um, the female form. Um, I'm like, if you just had her breathing, it would have been a much more, it would have been a much stronger moment. Because at this point, you're calling stuff back, and they did this heavily toward the end, and it, and it didn't, it didn't hurt the film, but if you wanted, like, people to look at it a different way it would have probably been better to not have certain pieces of dialogue that were callbacks because one thing to have a visual callback it's something else to have a callback that's so very obvious and it's like do you really want to do that i for me personally no i they shouldn't have done that so you know it's like now that now the battle starts and it becomes like phoebe becomes a protagonist because She's pretty much laid out that the house is a ghost trap and this is what they have to do because this is what Grandpa would have wanted. And at this point, you're seeing that tribute to, to the character of Egon and everything like that and the nobility of Egon because essentially she says, look, he sacrificed us, he sacrificed his daughter, and he sacrificed his life and everything else to do this. We need to do right by him. And that was kind of cool even though, again, timeline is not 100% clear. And, you know, Callie at one point says to her daughter, to, to Phoebe, that same night says, Welcome to the family. Your grandfather walked away. He walked away on me. He walked away on his partners. And I'm like, yeah, but later on, you meet his partners for the first time. How did you even know about that? Like, was it Egon's mom that told you? Or Egon's wife? Or, like, how did, you know, on, like... But those mm -hmm. things happen. They're like they're continuity issues in, in in films. I just think that these were a little bit more obvious and probably shouldn't have been there. So they have this battle, and in come the OGs. And when you see them, like when that shot establishes these three guys are there because I guess Ray had talked to them because you know like when the kids were in jail. Phoebe talks to Ray and says, you know, you and Egon were friends. What happened? And she's like, Egon can rot in hell. And he's like, she's like, he died. 
and he starts, you know, you see Ray, like, and then that's where Ray talks about the Reagan years and how the economy was good, and maybe they just did their job too good, and then Egon cleaned them out. Because he started becoming, like, super paranoid and super, you know, like, we need to do this. If we don't, things are going to be really bad. So, you know, the, the fight, the big fight happens. And, you know, the three OGs come in. And it is fucking great to see them again, right? Problem, though, is that's when the callbacks get overly extreme. Because Dan Aykroyd does the same, like, in the name of the state of Oklahoma, and this and that, and blah, blah, blah. And he does the same speech, only it's Oklahoma-based, and it doesn't make any sense. Because if, if, if you understand Ghostbusters, you'll know that the biggest... Star was its background, New York City. That's the whole point of Ghostbusters 1 and 2. It's like these things are happening in New York City. The city and its people are very much a part of the movie. They're woven in their reaction to it. So to weave a location that's so much smaller that's really only serving as a conduit is not the same thing. Right? So that line right there, that whole monologue that Dan Aykroyd does, didn't have any power. And then when Gozer asked the same question, are you a god? That's when Ernie Hudson just looks at him and he's like, Ray, come on. You already know what happened the first time when you said you weren't, blah, blah, blah. And it's like that scene sort of loses a little bit of, again, because you're adding sort of rehashed dialogue from the original film and you're kind of killing the magic because it almost feels like they're trying to relive a moment and they're not they're trying to help egon's family and that's really where it takes it away a little bit they cross the streams you know they go right to it and then Gosser starts uncrossing the streams cool but then that's when they have the most touching tribute which is ghost egon and that at that point you see how you know like it obviously it's was someone in, in yeah, yeah. is cgi but i gotta be honest with you i've seen cgi where they try to like um make certain characters younger like they did in star wars or tron and stuff like that and it looks weird you know how it looks like it's kind of like shaking and like egging mm-hmm. and kind of thing here in trying to make the egon character look older they did a hell of a job i mean i cannot do this enough justice like you see ghost egon and what makes that scene powerful at that moment and salvages it is the fact that egon doesn't say anything it's what he does and the character of egon does not look like this broken down farmer that you have pictured in your mind that you see at the very opening so they they salvaged it and they salvaged the nostalgic part of it by giving you that, like, man, it's like the last time we're going to fucking see these guys, but goddamn, it looks great, you know? Um, prior to that, though, again, callback that didn't really do anything. is like they had Bill Murray go on a rant trying to distract, to distract Gozer, the same thing as he did with Vigo in Ghostbusters 2. And I'm like, that doesn't work. If you have them fighting and just a few lines here and there you captured the magic you don't blow it up you Mm. salvaged it with egon and i gotta be honest man feeling like i've seen harold ramus one last time even though it wasn't him 
That shit was nice. Because I'm, like, one of the people that influenced me to become a, a writer was Harold Ramis because he was this sort of, like, kind of low-key, chill kind of dude mm-hmm. that just wrote this funny stuff that you enjoy. So the Ghost Egon thing salvages it. It does. It's not very long. I, Egon is really only there for... He features in for about a minute. Um, and then after that, there's like a couple of um, end credit scenes where uh, mid-credits and, and after credits, and I'm going to spoil this, so my apologies. Um, they have Sigourney Weaver, who her actual name appears in the credits before she appears in the credits, and it's like a little comedy banter between her and Peter, which lets you know that Peter got married, he's fine, he's good, he's all good to go. Ray still has the bookstore. And then Ernie Hudson's character is basically a billionaire. He became a billionaire over the years. And, you know, he basically says, look, I'll always be a Ghostbusters and things like that that are... It tugs at the heartstrings. And then at the end, it's just Ecto-1 coming into the empty firehouse and the, like, containment grid in the firehouse looking like it's, you know, going to blow again, which is what would set it up for a sequel if they wanted to do that. Um, where, you know, again, some things were inaccurate was they at first said that the firehouse had been turned into a Starbucks and when they come in, the firehouse is like, you know, er Ernie Hudson's character has bought it because he's into real estate. He's like a one percenter now and stuff like that. So, you know, and like Ecto-1 drives in and everything like that. So it does, it does have a setup feel to it, but I don't necessarily know or think that it that it's really what they're trying to do, and I think I, I'm I'm gonna disagree with you a hundred percent. They are trying to set up a new franchise. There's no way they make this without in those mid credit scenes without trying to set up a new franchise. I don't that think, is, but here's the thing: I don't think that they they're gonna going. be able. Here's here's the reason why I don't think they're gonna be able to do that. To be honest with you, they left it open, and yeah, they might try, but I just don't think it would have the same. <laughs> When when you don't do what they did in Star Wars, and, and, and here's where I'm going to make the comparison. When you don't do what they did in Star Wars, you're not like, you know, you're not bringing in old diehard fans like they did in Star Wars that, that, would, that would disagree and say, no, Luke should have been in everything, and he should have had 12 lightsaber fights and stuff like that, and, and, and they would want more Luke, Leia, and Han Solo kind of situation. Uh, and are going to continue to watch that even though they're not as heavily invested in the characters because they're on the off chance they might see Lando or Chewie. Mm. So here it's like they might try, but I don't think that there's going to be that much. Like I think this closed it out for the nostalgia trip of it. And I think it kind of gives you an idea of where the characters are. But I don't think, honestly, if they do, if they do, and I'm not saying that I know that they are or that they aren't, but if they do, I don't think it's going to work the same way. I'm going to say this right now. They're totally going to redo it. This one, and I understand everything you said, and I understand why some people like it, and I even get the hell Ramis and crying at the end. But all that is, suffice it to say, and, and this is where I'm going to be divisive here, is all cheap theatrics to make you hit in the feels, to make you forget that this movie's shit. Okay, so... <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just going to say it. It's based on... This movie is based on nostalgia bullshit. 
The whole reason it's based around Egon is to bring people like you and me into the theaters and sell us a bunch of nostalgia on characters. Honestly, they could do the same freaking movie in New York City with any of the other characters who are still alive and literally just say, we haven't been able to do technology. The father of it, Egon, is dead. That's sad. Ghosts are breaking out. We need to bust some ghosts, have some laughs. That's all you had to do. Simple setup. All of this going back to America Heartland, again, evoking images of nostalgia. All of this Egon family evoking shit of nostalgia. All for shit that honestly doesn't really serve anything. Changes kind of the characters to only then bring the original characters back in for your final set anyway, for nostalgia reasons. Uh, with actually never moving any of the Ghostbusters forward, any of the technology forward, or anything that they did for it. They even used Gozer again. This well, is well, let me ask you a question. But why? But, no, no, but did, what did you think? But what did you ideas. think? But what did you think of this the 2016 film? Original ideas. It doesn't. So have was, one but so was the 2016 ideas. film, though. The 2016 film. At least tried something different. At least tried something different. Well, how did this they try anything different? How did so they try many... anything different, though? Gozer's not the enemy in the fucking Ghostbusters 2016. No, they have a mad, they have a mad scientist. It's different. still the same. No, it's different. Gozer, Gozer and a mad scientist are different. Ghostbusters 2, which Ghosters is also based on nostalgia, the first Ghostbusters. So it's like... Watch Ghostbusters 2. Watch Ghostbusters 2. It's a nostalgia movie. Ghostbusters 2 is literally playing on nostalgia of the first Ghostbusters and does it better than this Ghost, one. Ghostbusters this has no 2, original Ghostbusters 2 was designed because it was the biggest property that the studio had ever had at that point, and they wanted money. So, 100%. And, and, it, and it only takes five years after the fact, though. So, yes, I mean, and it still has nostalgia feels. Do you remember Ghostbusters? Remember those good times of being Ghostbusters? Remember when we saved New York? People need to remember who we are. Ghostbusters 2 really literally did the nostalgia feels. It literally did that already. This one, it has no original ideas. Literally not one. And anything you described is an original idea. It's nostalgia-fueled garbage that they're just going to pump out another one. I have no interest in any nostalgic movies. I hated all the new Star Wars I because they didn't don't do anything think, new. I honestly don't think all nostalgia should. bullshit. I, in the, in the this one is thing all nostalgia that I will bullshit. Say, and the one thing I that I will care. say is I don't think they should actually send out a second one or a third one or a fourth one of this particular thing because I don't feel that the characters that they have, first of all, are grown enough to and really what they were trying to do was set up these characters to be the next ghostbusters and i'm like i don't think they're grown enough first of all and second of all it's going to be the same thing that happened in 2016 nobody wants the nobody wants new characters that is a fact okay anybody that tells me that i'm wrong about that look at how every fucking time something has new characters in it it is received and it's not that they weren't well set up like they weren't in Star Wars, because in Star Wars they did not have, you know, you talk about Star Wars, name me one character that you can remember that was properly set up and properly paid off throughout the three films. One character. None, none of them. I think that's just it. It's all, right. I didn't like but, any of the stuff. No, you, so and you know why you didn't? Because 90% of it is spent looking at the old characters. See, when you have characters that are iconic, all right trying to replace these characters is going to be a big problem it's going to be damn near impossible tell me that you can see someone else playing axel foley other than eddie murphy 
No, I think if you, but that's why I think you do your own original take on it. And I think where a lot of remakes, sequels, and other things, especially now when we're living through nostalgia, they're so primed on giving you old that they don't. I'd come rather, up with but I'd rather, I'd rather it. have the nostalgia of the time and not the actual characters be brought in. That's what I'm saying. It's like if you're going to bring me in I, the original characters, you're then going I, to put her in a situation where there's not going to be any chance for survival. That's I, to, my to point. Me, to That's me, why I don't think that it's I going to survive. I think the biggest problem Star Wars had was it set it in a time where the other characters were alive. I said Star Wars should have been three or four hundred years in the future. They should have just said, <laughs> "Screw it, we're not dealing with anybody." Uh, that that I think was the biggest to, problem. To Star me, Wars. one of the Those biggest problems is the fact I that you had stuff that wasn't that that was used that, that it was actually written. Okay, then all of a sudden it's like it's no longer canon, and I'm like, a lot of these stories are a lot better than the story that you're telling. And on top of that, basically, I, you're killing the work of authors that took the time to do And that. I agree 100%. That's why if you said it three or 400 years after the fact, all that stuff still exists, and you can just set up your own story because you just don't deal with it, right? Because you come up with something new. I feel the same thing about Ghostbusters. I don't, and I'm going to say this for a lot, I don't need to see, and I said this in Star Wars, I don't need to see old Harrison Ford running around and doing action. I actually don't need to see Dan Aykroyd, Ernie Hudson, or Bill Murray doing action. I don't need to see them. They're old. I don't need to see any of the old characters. I love my old characters. But give me something new. Don't, don't bother showing me the old Ghostbusters. They can't be replaced. So don't replace them. Give me just new people. Give me new things and new people. The problem with 2016, which I enjoyed, was it wasn't written well. You could still do that same thing well, the and just jokes, have a better the, the problem, story to go the with. The problem with 2016, everything, like, the optics were good. And we can, you know, we have to give them that. Yeah. And the premise Looking itself. Bad cast. No, I, it's not even really about the cast. The jokes were crap. Yeah, it the jokes well. the jokes were cheap and they weren't subtle. Like you know, like I can tell you the difference between a, a subtle joke where it's like, Haha, see what he did there, that's funny, and then you keep watching it and opposed as opposed to me like saying, "Oh look, she hit him in the balls, hit him in the balls." That's not a subtle joke. That's just a cheap pop. And oh, no, I think yeah, they had a problem with that because it's like the numbers were everything was right. And that actually could have worked if the actual writing made sense. But I wasn't invested in any of the fucking characters because, again, it's just like it's cheap. Oh, yeah. It is cheaply written. And I think that's the difference, um, why people don't like it. And people don't understand why they don't like it. They actually think it's one thing or the other. No, it is the fact that, you know you basically wrote this shitty jokes mm-hmm. and then you know you made a lot a lot of the characters were made to look weak to begin with so you don't invest yourself in weak characters and you know where there's where they don't have there's not a lot of differences here and there it's just like super oh, yeah. weak you know and oh, yeah. there's it, it like to me the 2016 wanted too badly to be a slapstick comedy yes and you can't take something that was never a slapstick comedy because ghostbusters is a funny comedy yes but it's not slapstick no not like there's a fucking difference between a slapstick comedy 
and a comedy where you know like the dialogue drives everything forward in in an intelligent way and ghostbusters did that yep and this i agree with you. and that's where i think the 2016 falls is the writing i think directly on paul feig's shoulder he's just not uh ivan reitman and hello ramus and they, he just didn't have the winning magic of good directing and storytelling to pull that and, and you want to talk about you want to talk about Harold ramus's writing the fact of the matter is the ghostbusters that we saw and the and again and i mentioned this earlier and the ghostbusters that we could have seen totally different stories the, the ghostbusters that we could have seen in 1984 wasn't just a difference in casts it was the fact that it was supposed to take place in different dimensions like the um you know and and you can check this out in different areas you know like the um, the outline that Dan Aykroyd had done, which was like 80 pages, they told him, it's like, it'll take $100 million to produce this, which was mm -hmm. unheard of back then. I mean, that's like an everyday thing now, but back then that was unheard of. So, I mean, it was Harold Ramis who stepped in and said, okay, let's, let's bring this down a notch, you know? Yep. And, you know, that's really the, the what separates that is you don't have the same kind of writing. And I think really one of the biggest situations now with reboots and stuff is people think that the name is going to automatically bring it love. It's not about the name. It's about the quality that was seen. And you know I think saying? where a lot of these remakes and sequels fall are they, they're relying on trying to bring back nostalgia always. And I think this is another perfect case of them trying to rely on nostalgia. Everything that you see from this movie is it's about a drama and Ghostbusters is not a drama It's a comedy and it's like doing a hangover sequel and turning it into a drama where you really really care about um, you Zach know, Galifianakis. Uh, Zach Galifianakis's character and everything else you'd be like well that sounds insane and silly Why are you doing it's hangover? That's the same exact thing with Ghostbusters. It sounds very crazy and it's just playing on nostalgia to again just dramatize it as much as possible. The move to Heartland, quote unquote Heartland, is to dramatize it and to rely on that nostalgia and your small town feel of childhood. And, and you know, the one, thing, literally stars the one thing that a children. lot of people. It literally stars children the one and thing you that a lot feel of people like a child again. Probably don't understand. Oh shit, nostalgia. I have no interest. And I'm saying this of all these movies. I don't give a shit. And I'm going to curse Rick because I don't give a flying shit about all these bullshit nostalgia movies to make me feel like a child again. I like being an adult. I'm a fucking adult. They can all suck my dick. All right. Every single one of them. I don't, I don't need bullshit nostalgia. Come up with original ideas and something good. That's just what I'm going to say. But all these fucking movies. I don't give a shit about any of them. All of them. They're all shitty to me. I hate every single one so, of them. So you're They're not going to see Beverly Hills Cut 4? Uh, Beverly Hills Cop 4, I probably will see Beverly Hills Cop 4 because uh, Eddie Murphy's in it and, uh, and other things. And we'll see. And Beverly Hills Cop 3 was shit. I'll see when it comes out. But yeah, I don't like movies that try to prey just on my nostalgic feelings. It's Disney's whole model. I mean, that's how they became so big an industry. Well, right I mean, um, that's they define It's literally that's, destroying that's our thinking yeah. and our way with media. Star Wars is a perfect example that you couldn't get away from nostalgia bullshit to actually tell good Star Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars is a cash wait, wait a second. Like, let's be real about this because, you know... You Star, Wars, Star, Wars, no, Star Wars is you all... you think this movie was not a cash grab? I would not actually 
Ghostbusters does not like license the same way. I mean, yeah, they want to make money, but Ghostbusters doesn't license and will never license the same way that Star Wars has. Star Wars is a cash register of the worst kind. All the reason, the only reason why Star Wars makes films, and now, now let's be clear about that, is really because none of the Star Wars were fucking original. Let's, let's be clear on that. Read Joseph Campbell, watch Seven Samurai, and tell me that that's not 100% ripped off. That's first and foremost. Second of all, Star Wars defined the name, the, like, the, the, the inaccurate word, because it's not even really a word, toyetic. It's toyetic. Star Wars fucking created that star wars is not like star wars is the biggest cash grab in the history disney follows along and follows suit with it because now that they own it it's obvious that they want to grab you know grab all the cash grab all the cash yeah because if you're not going to buy a star wars figure then hey maybe you'll buy a lion king plush of um of the latest lion king where it looks like an actual lion and it's like i'm the lion king you know it's it's you know it's a hundred percent like you know all about the cash you know that's and that's the unfortunate thing you know and we were talking about procedurals last week was the last week we talked about procedurals yeah all right yep why is it that i can wrap up a procedural elsewhere in six episodes and still keep you interested but here we have to do it for 25 episodes oh money yeah yeah it's 100 percent. now i'm not like i'm not gonna sit here and say that you know, I'm not keenly aware of the fact that Star Wars is just doing that. They're they're trying to create new people based on the old people that they had and just keep it going. And that's what they're talking about doing freaking three more films. But it wasn't re- well received enough to where those films are now guaranteed. Because even they have to understand the cash register does stop clicking at some point. People do get tired of being exposed to, um, you know, the story being told. And I know I'm sort of going off on a different tangent here but you know the same story being told to a whole new generation of people but you know also you don't have people that are trying to write a script that will clear a timeline that will have a clean timeline talk about three or four hundred years in the future you're talking about creating a timeline that talks about the events not not talks about the events but lets you know that those events were real but then moves on and it's clear and you see that clarity. And when you don't have that, that's where you have the issues. Um, I don't believe in overusing stuff, obviously, you know, so I had my own reasons for wanting to watch this because I'm a fan of Ghostbusters, let's face it. But if- I'm, I'm a fan of Ghostbusters too. That's why I don't need overly latent nostalgia fed to me what i want is new good ghostbuster shit i don't need egon's dead that's sad these dudes are old that's sad give me just a new group of people going off and doing their shit i don't need a nostalgia fueled like love letter to my childhood and egon didn't need it didn't fucking need it don't fucking care uh i'm just gonna put it there don't need it don't care don't care at all uh, it, it, to me, it's like you undermine the characters, you undermine this, you can easily do it by just not putting them in there. You could just not do it. There's always a choice to just not do it. 
So when you do it, it's like, all right, now I got to make this comparison. Now I have to think about Egon. Now I have to bring yeah, up characters. Yeah, but if you're gonna, but that's the thing. If you're all gonna these write things new characters, have to but do, if you're gonna write that new is characters, unnecessary. Like they did in 2016, where the premise was excellent, because I, the reason why I watched that film, okay, was because they had new characters, and I thought, okay, they're gonna play up on this. They're gonna make this work. They didn't make it they work. They didn't make but it that's, work. They fucked was up the Paul characters. Feig. Yeah, it was Paul Feig's bad writing. Like, the joke writing on that. If you had funny jokes in that movie, I think that movie would be receptive completely and the differently. Fucking, and, the, and the worst part of it is you actually had people who could deliver the jokes. That's not like... Yes. You know, yes. Leslie David Jones is great. freaking awesome. Melissa McCarthy's great. Oh, you had people who could deliver the stuff. It's not that they couldn't deliver it. Yeah. They weren't given anything to deliver. And I'm going to say, and that for me is the same feeling for this movie. It's not the actors. It's not anything. It's that they're so obsessed with the past that, again, we can't do anything new for the future. We're just obsessing over the past. And this movie does the same. It just obsesses over the past. Which is, it does which it is why move. it's not going to set up a successful sequel. Because let's assume that they do the, the way that it was done. It doesn't leave that door 100% open, dude. It does not... I feel it does not leave that door open. It sets it up and it attempts to do it, and there's no there's no getting around that. But it would be a mistake to try to do it on the characters that they have now. Yep. Because The only difference the of opinion, I would say, is I think this movie was a mistake. So... <laughs> That's the only difference of opinion I would put out there. I do think this movie's big. I just think it's unnecessary, man. I, I, I have a particular sore spot for nostalgia movies um, that are just based off of nostalgia, that are obsessed with the past and nostalgia, which is something I know our current culture is obsessed with, but that's the way society is the way it is because none of us can literally move forward. We're literally making America great again because we're so stuck in our damn past that we can't see the good of what we need to build for the future. And these movies just keep doing it over and over and over again. So uh, it's just ruin. It's ruining all of us. And I, I wish our and I wish there's so much great new stuff out there. And I wish these people get chances to make this type of stuff where they can actually move forward, where studios and people are not just demanding the past over and over and over again. On that note. I'm going to give my recommendations for this week. Go and watch Hitmonkey. Uh, it's on Hulu. It's freaking excellent. Uh, go and take a look. I am in the process of watching Cowboy Bebop. and Another nostalgia. <laughs> no, no. I would say probably it's kind of it's kind of cheesy. So if you're into cheese, I guess watch that. Speaking of cheese, have you seen the new Will of Time from Amazon? No, I have not. I'm, that's actually on my queue. Oh, yes. I watched only the first episode, but let me say this. It's a very, very expensive Xena or Hercules. Like, like it looks like them, but, like, you know you know how they uh, were dude, low budget. I, it's weird. But they like... spent more money on it. It is. <clears throat> I love it. I'm going to watch more of it. But it absolutely looks like a high-budget Xena or Hercules. And I'm like, I can't believe you spent so much money to look like Xena. I uh, honestly... <laughs> dude, I don't know why, but I was never a fan of Xena or Hercules. I don't know. Like, it just... it Like, I was... I, I don't know. Dude, I get it. I love fantasy slock. That's my shit. I get it. But when you watch Wheel of Time, 
I know you didn't really watch those shows, but you watch them all the time. Tell me. No, I watched a few. I watched you. a few episodes of them, but it, like, and I would try to get into it, but like, they were those shows that were like super heavily syndicated, and it's like you know. Like, man, do I really want to watch this? And then you They're watch basically it and, yeah. fantasy soap operas. They're basically yeah, soap basically, operas with yeah. fantasy. With fantasy elements. So, you, you gotta be in I was, I was, but, yeah, I, actually, it, part of it is, I was never a Kevin Sorbo fan. I thought he was a jackass, and I still think that he's a jackass, and anybody who oh, wants to fucking... Oh, he's the biggest jackass. Dis, like, you want to dispute that with me, go right ahead. I'll tell you That's every why everybody reason. likes Xena, Xena more. Because Xena, Xena, Xena fucking tells him off. In real life, yeah. too. She's not, she calls him peanut. Yeah, Lucy Lawless is awesome. Uh, that's why everybody likes you no more. But uh, when you watch that show, just tell me if it doesn't remind you of a higher budget Xena Hercules. All right, I'll watch I was it. Just, we'll have a discussion I, about it. I'm just amazed about how much money they spent to make it look like a 90s Xena episode. Uh, I'm, like, I'm like, you spent so much money and this literally looks like a 90s Xena episode. You just went to New Zealand and, and filmed. Like, we get it. Uh, like, you didn't have to spend millions I want to go to New Zealand and film. I do, too. It's it's, uh, it's one of your... Yeah, but, uh, but you could tell. You could tell that it was filmed in New Zealand. You've seen all the shots before. It's like, it literally looks like a 90s fantasy film. I'm loving it because I love that schlock. I really do. I love that schlock. Uh, but it is, it is so bad but good but bad it's bad they age up the characters but they keep the storyline the same so now they don't make sense because in the characters they're coming of age like puberty trials but except all the characters are like 20 or 21 but everybody's talking to them as if they're like children it's <laughs> it's it's insane it's insane i love it yeah. but it's so they can add sexy scenes because of game of thrones so they want to add sex into it um, um <laughs> you know children, i i, I'm, I know I'm what sexy. i'm gonna say pearl is gonna piss off a lot of people but i've still only in my entire life only watched one episode of game on uh, game of thrones so i i'm i'm gonna piss i gotta off i too. gotta i gotta like get into it at some point but i just i don't know it you know I've, I've watched only a couple of episodes of the first season, but I've read all the books. Mm-hmm. I've read all the books. So, like, to me, I'm a big book fan. Mm-hmm. I just, the show was fine. I just never got into the show. And I know everybody did. I just never got into it. So, mm-hmm. like, I know of it. I've seen clips. Like, and I know everything that happens. Because, you know, it's in our cultural zeitgeist, so I know it. Well, uh, I mean, I've read the look, books. If, so. if you were ever anywhere after the airing of an episode of game of thrones that was like the that was like the conversation that everyone was having i just i'm one of those people that gets into shows like at my own time i'm like okay i'll get into like i got into the sopranos you know like almost at at its last season which by the way spoiler alert for everyone that didn't think this had happened yes tony soprano got killed just accept it already and get and move on with your life um david chase did you hear that like david chase actually wrote like that he was quoted in an article he was like yes damn it the whole point of having it end was because tony soprano got killed he met a grisly end and it's like did everyone not know that already he got killed he's dead i have only seen the first season of sopranos i never finished it i i got into the sopranos a year before it ended so i watched every because there weren't really that many episodes to begin with so you know i watched every episode and then caught up with the final season and that was it and i haven't seen it since i watched the saints of new york which i mean it was basically a prequel and you know it, it really just 
set up Tony Soprano, but I was like, yeah, you know, it is what it is. You know, uh, it's like, yeah, I, I, I don't know if Saints of New York was necessary, but I've only seen the first season, but I feel like I already get to know a lot about Tony Soprano for the first season. About um, how he is Tony Soprano is like a piece of shit human being. I mean, that's it. That's oh, yeah. really all you need to know. You, you get it from the first episode and yeah. you understand, like even David Chase actually wrote like in the article that he was being quoted, he said, I don't understand what the fascination is. He was a terrible person. Yeah, I actually stopped watching after he really wanted to kill his daughter's black boyfriend, like, in a lot of racism being thrown around. I was like, well, I don't feel like watching this racist piece of shit, so I'm going to cut off. Yeah, he was, um, he was not a hero <laughs> character. Like, he died the way he was supposed to die. A shitty yeah. death for a shitty person. Yeah, you know? yeah that makes sense. That makes like, sense. He was racist. He was a homophobe. He was pretty much everything that you could possibly imagine is wrong with a person. Yeah, no, I agree with you. Well, those are all of our things to piss everyone off. Uh, <laughs> and some things to watch. Always here at Cinemagic. We'll piss you off, and you'll love us, and we give you good recommendations. And we give you good recommendations, and we create content, so check it out. And we will actually be releasing something very soon that you will enjoy a great deal and eventually we will actually tell you what it's about but that's you know far later down the line we've given you several hints so you know make of that what you will should we give them another hint today or no nope. hints were done this right. is now turkey week so it's the upcoming turkey week so uh for all those in the u.s enjoy your turkey if you don't eat meat enjoy your tofurkey um or uh, ham which i've had what's wrong with before, ham which is Better than better than I thought. Uh, not as good as actual turkey, but still better than I thought. Wait, but I'm a you, had, you had you had tofurkey for real? Yeah, I had tofurkey for real. Yeah, I've had tofurkey uh, for for because at Thanksgiving people don't eat meat, and I'm trying to eat less meat, so I get it. Uh, tofurkey's not as bad as people think. It's it's not as good as like actual turkey, but it's pretty good. Like it's it's better than you think. Um, yeah, with definitely. the turkey though, it's like however it's cooked that makes you know. Yeah. Like it makes um, a difference. And, and fuck the pilgrims, Native American month. Woo! Uh, much love to all my Native Americans out there. <laughs> Gotta cover all bases. Uh, <laughs> don't forget to watch our stuff. Uh, if you're in the U.S., you can find both uh, Searching for Bethy Bioli and Boy School on, on Tubi. Uh, and if you're overseas, Rick, tell them where you can get it. Um, you can get it on Alchemy. Um, I know Duya is releasing it on, on several of its partner stations, so check it out. And thank you. The views have been great, so thank everyone for checking good. it out. We really do appreciate mm -hmm. it. Uh, we, we really do. It's helping us make you know the new projects that are coming up. So don't forget to uh, like, share, leave a review and comment, whatever you're listening to podcasts. Tell all your friends, hey, listen to this podcast. They'll piss you off and give you good recommendations. <laughs> And we'll see you next week. Enjoy your holidays, everyone. Bye, everybody.